This is Limit Up, a trading podcast presented by the performance coaches at Top Step. We discuss futures, forex, stocks, options, history, trading psychology. Basically, if you can trade it, we'll try our best to make sense of it. Now, on to the show. Good afternoon, traders. Welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step. I am Jack Pelzer. I'm joined by Dan Hodgman, as usual. And today, we are discussing corrections, inflation, and you. Yes, you, because uh, this is going to be affecting all of us. Uh, but first, Dan, how are you doing this morning or afternoon or whatever time we're recording? Right. Uh, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Um, markets are moving, seeing some opportunity in them. You know, we talked about it on Coach's Playbook on Tuesday a little bit, what's going on in the equity markets. These markets are moving. Things are happening there, um, but they just seem to keep happening higher. So time will tell. Yeah, with very uh, few other things happening, it's just always a new high after new high. And because of that, we thought we would talk about a little bit today, similar to the Coach's Playbook, but we can go in a little more in depth here, is sort of the idea of corrections, what they are, historical context as far as those go, and just like what you should be looking for right now if you are trading in the futures market specifically, because that's where a lot of our traders are operating. So uh, first, Dan, because we've been doing this lately, do you think, are there any market levels right now that you're looking at besides just new high after new high? You know what, as I was sitting down, thinking about that this morning. I was like, you know, we always are talking equities. Another market we have to start paying closer attention to is the crude oil market. We're in a really pivotal spot right now. And so I'm looking at that. I'm looking at a couple of things. So, you know, as you look over the last two weeks or so when it comes to crude oil, it's really struggled to accept up above 75, 65. Um, we've traded up above it. We've uh, pushed above it a couple of times. Uh, but really never some true acceptance up above that. So 75.65, we're not far off it right now. Uh, Tuesday afternoon, July 13th at 1.14 p.m. Central Standard Time, that market is trading 75.27. So we're right there at that level. Now, when I talk levels, I want to make sure I'm pointing out there are ranges. So if we accept above that, do I believe we're taking off and or run into a hundred bucks? Absolutely not. There is ranges. So I'm going to give you my whole range on that. And that runs up to about, we're going to round it to uh, $77. That's an area I'm going to be keeping a very, very close eye on in this crude oil market if we get inside that. Yeah, you're channeling your inner hogue, which is a good place to be. That's why we always say areas of importance and not just levels. There's obviously more of trading than just uh, picking a nice number that you like and just buying or selling based on that. Right. I'm glad you bring that up. I've seen it lately in a couple different, you know, forums and Facebook groups and a couple other places where people are, you know, putting levels for three different markets and they're giving a high and a low. If above this, I'm buying. If below that, I'm selling. Well, you can't trade just like that. Just because you have a level, just remember it's areas. It could move through 20 points. It could, uh, you got to be cognizant of that. The level is still good. Like I said, crude oil, you know, runs up to 77 and then breaks back inside 75.65. I'm still liking that 75.65 level. But again, it's an area. I mean, what I always used to do when I was trading at the firm is you have a level you like in something. 
you think about, okay, what is the full position size I want to get on at this level to be total? And then you spread it out a little bit. So how we would explain it is that like, let's say your level is 30 with a third of my size that I want at that level. I get pretty damn aggressive with it, right? Get it on just to get it on. So in case you missed it, a third of it on or around the level and then lay back just a little bit for being a little bit less aggressive with the last third. So then it all averages out to about your level, but also you get a little bit more on in case it just uh, works out before it gets to your level. So that's something I used to do. It's a great, great way to put it, Jack. I mean, the a lot of times we talk about futures in the sense of, you know, trading one lots, but there are a lot of traders out there listening to us that are trading with size. You know, you can trade into these levels. You, you can let it move through. You take that higher time frame view as well of it. And that's going to help you really understand where your profit can be in these markets. Now, shorting crude oil right now around that $75 mark, that's really, really hard to do. It's extremely hard to short that, but then you got to start thinking a little bit shorter time frame, And then you start to kind of put, put some ranges inside the areas that you're looking at. So if you have your range of a dollar and a half, you look inside it, maybe a little tighter for those short time frame trades. And you can play some bigger time frame stuff with those higher time frame levels. I think there's a ton of different ways to look at it. Yeah, uh, I swear, audience, we will get the corrections. But Dan, uh, in explaining what I just did, I remembered something that I hadn't thought about in years, which I think is an interesting trading story for folks. So I used to work overnight trading treasury uh, futures versus cash spreads. And there's not a ton of volume overnight. And the markets tend to kind of grind a few directions. Plus, we were in these positions, right? Without going too into the weeds, you hedge one full cash treasury bond with, you know, say like 10 futures. It, it changes depending on the product. And you put a bunch of them on. Basically, what I'm saying is that there was kind of more size than was kind of trading. So about being aggressive on those levels, everybody, the traders who were on the day shift would come back and really chew you out if some level traded and you couldn't get everything on. And there were a bunch of groups there. So it ended up with this arms race of who could get the most aggressive putting stuff on. And then, like all things, when this is a good lesson in markets and uh, psychology in general, so then you'd get to the point where it's like, well, what was the level has now moved up a full like couple ticks or something like that. And now you've just put on a super aggressive level. And then... Naturally, the first time it blows out, you call your trader who's uh, asleep and say, hey, you have this much size on. This is where it is. And they're like, why the F do I have that much size on there? Because I'm sick of getting yelled at. Uh, what I'm trying to say is there's there's no way to win as a clerk. Uh, your success is their success. Your failure is your own. So yep. just, just something to remember in those markets. I hadn't thought about that in a while. But today, we swore we would talk about corrections. and. For some historical context and just the definition, a market correction is any time an asset pulls back more than 10% from the highs. And it's something that happens frequently, and it can be a sign of healthy markets, I think, for it to pull back sometimes just to see what's kind of under the hood. And they do happen frequently. I'll just repeat the stats really quick that I did on Coach's playbook, once again, from our friends at Guggenheim Investments. They're not paying us. It's just something I found online. I feel like our traders aren't really using... I mean, you guys are like the opposite of Guggenheim. I don't think Guggenheim is suggesting you go out there and day trade NQ. Probably not. 
<laughs> Probably not. Yeah, everything in moderation. But anyway, since uh, World War II, which for you non-history buffs out there, ended in 1945, the markets declined between 5 and 10% 84 times, between 10 and 20% 29 times, between 20 and 40% 9 times, and 40 plus percent on three occasions. And we also mentioned that the recovery time kind of grows exponentially, where those smaller moves, like the 5 to 10%, take about one month to recover on average. The 10 to 20%, four months. The 20 to 40, 14. And then the 40 plus, 58 months on average to recover. That being said, there's only been three times because the um, end number is sort of low there. I wouldn't put too much stock into it. And also... If the market drops 40%, there's usually a structural reason that needs to get sorted out before. I mean, I don't think that includes... So that's the numbers as of February of this year. I don't think COVID even reached that. I don't think we reached 40%. I don't think we did. I think we were closer to 35 36%, something like that. So I'm trying to... So the three times it must be referring to are the Great Recession, the dot-com bubble... And then what's the third? Is it 87? I didn't, I don't know how, there must have been something in the 70s way before our time because I don't think it, it went down 40%. It didn't go down that far in 1987 either. I don't believe so. Yeah. So these are things that happen frequently. You got to take the sweet with the sour there. But the reason we're talking about corrections is because since many of you trade indices out there, you're probably aware that we have been on a grind of successively higher highs for a good long time now. Let me ask you a question, Jack. Do we consider this a grind? Is it a grind or is it a rocket ship? Is this Richard Branson taking off into space? I mean, we're on our way to the moon with the way this thing has been since, let's just call it April of 2020. We haven't seen any sort of correction, any sort of like substantial pullback. I'll take the analogy further. I think that in this, because um, I watched that Richard Branch, I'm just going to call it the Richard Branson launch as well. I think we have uh, Jerome Powell is kind of like that big plane that they take him up on that holds you up, keeps you from the bottom and then shoots you off. You know, they make sure you don't hit the bottom. So yeah, it has been a rocket. Let me take a look real quick. This is why I love having charts handy. I'm going to go to the uh, one week chart here because what I'm looking for, Dan, is I'm trying to figure out in this whole, I mean, we have been on an absolute tear. We're very close now at 4380 right now in the ES. I mean, what was the low? 2300? That makes sense in my mind. That sounds at the, about at the right. bottom of COVID. Okay. Got it right here. Yeah. The low was 20. 174. So I guess it got below 2200. So, okay, at 4400, we are at double in the S&P 500 where we were at the lows in March of 20, which is truly incredible. And as I'm looking at it here, I'm trying to find what the biggest pullback was. And it looks like the biggest pullback that we got during this whole, uh, you know, COVID recovery was we went in August of 20, we went from 3580 to a low a couple weeks later of 3198. Let me just do that one more time. 3580 to 3198. I don't want to put it into the calculator, but I think that might be 
ten percent. So approximately, yeah, approximately four hundred points, a little over ten percent, twelve percent. Yeah, but it's incredible to go all, to to double with just one ten percent pullback. It's just something to behold, really. It's mind blowing. It absolutely, it, it's is. truly mind blowing. And let's kind of talk about like I think it's important to sit here and make sure we all understand what's going on in these markets, right? We have a lot of people with extra cash with everything going on from the stimulus packages. They were getting some more money. Uh, You're seeing economies starting to open back up. That may affect things here going forward. Uh, You had the Fed, you know, like Jack, I think was a perfect analogy, was the plane taking off and holding these markets higher until that rocket ship was able to get going. And the Fed's still flying. The Fed is still holding things up a little bit. They haven't started to taper too much just yet. You've got everyone I can think of is in these markets right now. And I feel like more seem to keep coming in each and every day. Question is, when are we going to hit the top? Yeah. I think that's what we're all wondering. So huge disclaimer as usual, we're not top callers. No, <laughs> Far no, from it. Nobody really is. But it's you know it's important to be able to effectively manage your risk. Something interesting we talked about today on Playbook, which is I think where I want this conversation to go, since I think it would be fun, is we talked about how the market is usually not ready to, unless something crazy happens. For instance, there's always an exogenous event that could happen. Say COVID, right? Uh, When the market went down because of COVID, that wasn't really market psychology with the turn, right? It wasn't like the investors all this there was nothing necessarily wrong with the market there yeah it was high but certain things are going to happen that are going to be bad for equities right right you know like a global pandemic that might do it yeah well i guess not really i mean like we (laughs) (laughs) were a year later and we're double yeah exactly so usually when you talk about just pure uh the market collapsing under its own weight usually something does have to spark it but Basically, everyone, you, you got to shake out all the naysayers first or like the vast majority of them, which we're certainly not at. Usually it's once everybody's all in is then something small happens and it changes sentiment and that's where you get it down. Two of the big previous big boy pullbacks, not pullbacks, just not even corrections, just uh, what, what, what do you call a real big, just a dump in the stock market? A flash crash. Well, like a sustained one, like one of the uh, I'm going to refer to the dot com bubble and the Great Recession to set up this. So in both those cases, you had a certain euphoria or belief system where people in the dot com bubble, right, you know, go back and read about some of the valuations on companies like AOL and Netscape and um, what was a big one I'm thinking about right now that. It's it's still a huge company, but just oh god, Dan, this is good. This is Microsoft. good podcast. No, yeah, I'm thinking about uh, it begins with a C. Anyway, I'll come back to it when I know. Sometimes you get on the spot. I didn't have this in my notes, so I'm just like thinking Cisco, Cisco, Cisco. Cisco okay, yeah, Cisco. Like just recently, I think got past their market cap from the top of the dot com bubble. So. But what you had was this belief you had this disruptive new technology, which is unlike anything. We have not had a revolution like that since 
the dot com bubble. Maybe new energy and batteries might be that at some point. But you truly had people who were rationally, it wasn't like just buying tulips or something, who said that this technology is going to completely redefine how value is created and everything. It's going to make efficiency go through the roof and the market's going to go to a million, whatever it's going to be. Kind of like how people talk about Bitcoin now. Mm-hmm. And when that ended up not being the case or some people started to like change their their thoughts, then the crash happened. All right. But it started with this belief that this is going to roar through it. So in the Great Recession, it was housing and it wasn't the same. Like people weren't like housing is going to change the future. You know, we're not the WeWork guy. But there was a belief that housing couldn't really go down, sort of like a stock market thing. Like, that's why people were writing the mortgages with basically nothing down. It's like, who cares if I hold housing on my balance sheet because it's just going to grow. Right. Property value always goes up. You know, that was that mentality. Right. It goes up until it doesn't. And also, that's a thing, a common theme and why I always watch margin debt and things like that is when you see people start getting levered up. That's what contributes to the end stages of a bubble burst because when it starts going down, they get margin called very quickly. So what starts as a 5%, say in the housing, you know, you're 20 to one levered. Suddenly you've been completely wiped out. Okay. Yeah. Now it's not clear what the belief is now that would make people go all in. And I offered, which I'm starting to believe, which we might talk about a little bit, is that it's the Fed, right? It's that people are not, you know, in a functioning market, people should be keeping a certain amount of cash on the sidelines. People should be insuring their positions with, you know, puts or whatever. But with the Fed, you don't need to do that. Or at least that's the belief right now. Which brings us to why we talked about corrections, inflations, inflation. That is how you say that. And you is that, what if something like inflation comes around where now, well, maybe the Fed does not have as much leeway to do their thing? And that ties into we're recording this on Tuesday, July 13th. And this morning, we got a 5.4 print in the CPI. Now, as we've said, there is some funky stuff going on there still. One of the largest contributors is used cars. And that's not going to like that's more of a supply issue. That's not going to last for too long. But there's a lot of other parts of the economy that are really heating up as far as inflation goes. And I'm a little bit worried right now that that might be the catalyst that starts first sending down the growth stocks. They don't like inflation. And then kind of going from there. So Dan, you got any thoughts? Well, yeah, I think first off inflation, 5.4% here for the last month, um, year over year. But you know, they have given us some outlooks of where this can go longer term, where it's going to be on the year, um, a little bit more reasonable. I think, you know, the benchmark typically is 2%. That's where they kind of want to see inflation to be right around. I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, put an asterisk around this if I'm wrong. I think they said the outlook for the year would end around 3.5 or 3.8%. So not nearly as high as we're seeing right now with 5.4%. Also, you look back this time because you've got not just used autos, which I see it in my truck. I've got a, I got a couple of year old truck with 30,000 miles on it and I'm getting offered what I paid for it. 
um, back in 2019, which is kind of nice. But then I got to go out and pay up for something else. Uh, But you're also seeing it in, you know, gas and oil. So you think about what was gas costing approximately this time last year. I don't think it was quite into June, July, but I remember around May timeframe, I was paying 99 cents a gallon. Uh, I filled up the other day. It was $2.97 a gallon. Um, So that's up three times uh, approximately. Let's just call it, let's just call it up 150%. So you have some goods that are increasing, which are affecting these numbers that we're seeing. Now, there are other things that we want to think about, right? Cost of just regular goods. You know, you Mm -hmm. buy a gallon of milk. When the price goes up on milk, do you really expect it to go back down? Probably not. You know, you're, if you're going from $3 to $4, and honestly, couldn't tell you what a gallon of milk costs. Not a clue. I haven't looked at the price of milk in years. When I need milk, I just buy it. But I know that's up. Yeah. I, I don't have any kids, too, so it, it, I'm not consuming a lot of milk by myself. I know what eggs cost, so I'm not, you know, I'm not just completely out of touch. <laughs> I, I'm 100% out of touch when it comes to grocery shopping. I just, I know what I want. I, I get it. Um, I'm not very good about paying attention. The only thing I pay attention to is if I'm going down the frozen pizza aisle and uh, it says, you know, buy three pizzas, get two free. You know, what are the deal on the good frozen pizzas? What's your frozen pizza of choice? Ah, see where I'm at here in uh, here in Wisconsin, right down the road is Hebron, Illinois. Uh, I believe their water tower says the 1954 Illinois State basketball champs. They're still, claim- that's their claim to fame still. It's good to know. There's a little... There's a little uh, little spot in there that has champion pizzas. They're frozen pizzas, and they are hands down the best frozen pizzas. Every bar around here uh, sells them. Um, oh, it's so good. I'll check that out. I'll throw out a, a plug for a larger one, Home Run-In Pizza. In Ch- I don't know if they sell it outside Chicago. They may because they sell it to Aldi near me, but uh, that's a pretty good frozen pizza. I feel like I prefer it to like half of ordered pizza. I grew up with the home run in family. Oh, Mr. Home Run? <laughs> yep. I, I won't say names, but yes, I grew up with Mr. Home Run's uh, children. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, send my regards because I've eaten a lot of those. So yeah, uh, you're talking about yeah regular goods. So I agree with you, Dan, where it doesn't worry me as much with um, things like used cars or you know gasoline's a fickle mistress. That'll do its thing. But we mentioned on Playbook, housing prices where I had, and I'll give the same prompt I gave to the people on the show is like, if you own your place or even if you don't own it, if you're renting, it'll still have the sale price of the place in Zillow. Uh, Check out the increase in the hashtag trademark Zestimate or whatever. And I was saying that like my my condo has gone up according to them like 19% this month, which is stupid. I have been looking at it because I I live in a vacation town. So uh, most people that are buying houses up here tend to, uh, we, we tend to kind of um, historically sneak out of the bubble because these are vacation homes. People are buying them as second homes, which is kind of what I did. And uh, now I live here full time and I love every bit of it. But I uh, I bought my house a little over two and a half years ago here and uh it is up substantially about 35% since I bought it for what the Zillow estimate is right now. Yikes. I think I should just sell and take the money and run. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the real test would be like, would they take 
not suggesting that anyone do this, but you know, it says it's worth that. But could you like sell it to the bank and pay back like a mortgage or something like that? Like I, I don't know. Like like usually that's for like elderly people. <laughs> I have thought what are the options out there to take a take a little cash out of this thing. I, I will say it's actually pretty amazing too because where I live, houses you know they're all going above value. So there's bidding wars from, and they're selling within 24 hours, nothing staying on the market. Most are sold within a couple hours of getting on the market. It's unreal. I have people knocking on my door regularly. I've had like five or six people come by and offer to buy my house sight unseen without it being for sale. Yikes. Once again, yikes. That's double yikes for me. The reason we're talking about housing and stuff like that is because these are all markets. And I think that a lot of the real inflation we see, and I think I've mentioned this on the show before, is locked up. You can look up the idea of a liquidity trap or things like that, where, you know, I'm not sure how effective some of the things the Fed does going forward, say printing more stuff, is it kind of just all flows into certain assets, right? I mean, they print all this money, but it ends up not raising people's wages. It ends up going into the stock market and into housing, and I guess into crypto now. You know, right? So, without ever really getting into the economy, I mean, there would be massive inflation if people were, if wealthy people in this country were actually spending money, right? Or like spending at a uh, propensity to consume that the average person does, right? There'd be massive inflation. But now it's just kind of hoarded in places. So, it's this is goes into my worry about what if the Fed decides to change their tune a little bit as we start to talk about tapering and raising rates. And every time they talk about it, it's like uh, Jason in the uh, Friday the 13th movies. It's getting a little closer each time. Every time they talk, it's just pulling a little bit closer until one day they're going to slash you and you being interest rates in that metaphor. Sorry, opposite of slash. I need to say one thing. Opposite of slash. Uh, They raise your rates. Raise your rates. So one thing I want to mention, you know, we're sounding very doom and gloom here talking about, you know, what what's bound to, what the awful things can be. We're all in a very good opportunity situation if, a, you know, a correction comes or if that correction, which I think there's potential that these, you know, corrections are changing with the technology we have at our hands. The machines keeping these markets up tend to be computer-based, AI, looking to buy, not really sell, run these things up. So we've seen it a couple of times over the last few years where when a big sell-off starts to come, the bottom is gone. There's nothing there to catch it. And it goes a little bit more than that 5 10% mark. Um, but this is an opportunity for traders and investors. And I, I think it's super important to recognize that, right? If we have a sell-off, if we have a correction, let's just call it you know, a little flash crash or you know, we're down 15%, we're down 20%. These are opportunities to create great opportunistic wealth. This is why you want to have cash on the side no matter what. So when you look back at last year, how many people do you know sitting there kicking themselves saying, I wish I could have bought when we started recovering. I wish I could have bought in. I know for myself, I was able to hop into some stuff and I'm sitting here very, very happy with how last year turned out for me. You were able to find those opportunities. I see it with friends um, that were able to do it. And I see friends that were missed it and said, well, I'm, I'm just getting out. I, I can't take this anymore. We know these markets will recover. And this is opportunities for us 
being traders, being in, in that world that we can take advantage of the downside move, right? Because when the market starts to go, you got to be quick to be willing to sell. You can't just say, well, it's the stock market. It's always going to go higher. When it starts to present the selling, you have to be willing to take it. Um, and there's a great opportunity there. You can take the short side down when you start to see things starting to catch a bob- bottom and you'll see it. You know, you'll start to recognize if you watch these markets long enough and close enough, you'll see, all right, bids are coming in. This market's starting to hold. Yeah, we're still going to slip a little bit, but you start to recognize. You can visually see an order flow. You can see it in open interest. You can see it in just outright volume when we're starting to pick things back up. Um, and then there's your opportunity to say, here, here we go. You know, if you're buying index funds, uh, individual stocks, ETFs, whatever it is, there's something there. Take advantage of that. Yeah, we're all optimists here. Ultimately, I guess what I'm, what I am encouraging people to do out there is, you know, always be assessing your risk. Right? As Dan says, the markets will always come back. Asterisk. The important caveat is not if you're margined up. Right. I mean, you need to be able to survive things, right? So now I would highly suggest is not the time to be going out there and you know, taking out margin loans to I, honestly, as far as stock trading yeah, goes. Yeah, don't go take equity out of your house because uh, you got a high estimate to go buy. <laughs> yeah, to go <laughs> buy stock. Oh, God, just the thought of that makes me sweat. And I'm not even the person that would hypothetically, that person doesn't even <laughs> exist. We're making up a person. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, because I think now's the time is I, I know me personally, I'm taking just a little bit of stuff off the table. I try and balance. So I have a percent in my mind that I try and keep in as far as cash. And then always your actively trading stuff is always a subset of your total investments or should be. So use that to take advantage of the down moves, but just make sure you don't get yourself in a spot where you're forced to liquidate. You're forced to do things. You don't never want to be forced to do things. You want to have control. When human nature says, when a market's going against me, that's okay. I can withstand this. It'll recover. It'll recover. When you start to recognize that mentality, just cut the losses, accept them, take what left, whatever leftover capital you have. Top step, we always say, always trade for tomorrow. And I think it's a great mantra for every single person to have. Don't think tomorrow's a given. Um, you have to kind of control that destiny. Ooh, I got real deep there. Yeah. No, that's a good place to end this conversation, I think, as a matter of fact. Yeah, that was super deep. Be safe out there. That's the first and last commandment of trading is be safe. You know, it's it's not the the goal. The one rule isn't to make a million dollars. You can buy a two helipad Bezos ship. I mean, if you want to do that, you know, start your own company, preferably the greatest logistic company of all time. But protect yourself, all right? Take the good, take the bad, live the trade another day. So I think that that's a good place to end on as far as corrections and inflations for now. But we'll be back next week to talk about God knows what happens in the next week. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That's the fun of the markets, right? So, uh, Dan, I'll see you then. You have anything coming up this weekend that is important for people to know about? Well, we, uh, we're finally getting out of the 75 and gloomy weather, and we got uh, 85 and sunny. Um, so I'll be out on the water. And uh, 
you know what? I may even go see some country music concerts this weekend. Yeah. And uh, if you don't like country music, go find whatever concert appeals to you or country. It's all good. So we'll be back next week. Uh, As always, namaste and trade well. Limit Up is presented by Top Step and produced by Dante32. Futures in Forex trading contain substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.